favorite time of the year, which is Christmas time. Like, no shame. This is my favorite. Anybody else? Like, literally favorite time of the year. You could live all year in this. Am I the only one? Who just loves Christmas? All right. Uh, any any luck on the video or no, Caleb? No? Okay. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew, but then also put your finger in Matthew and flip over to Philippians 2. Um, this is just kind of the two big points that we're going to hang out. So go to Matthew 1, put a little bookmark there or something, and flip over to Philippians 2. Uh, as we kind of go into this season of Advent, um, now, we did not set up this tree, even though it's a beautiful tree, right? Um, good artists create, great artists steal. The tree was in the room when we got in here, so we just slid it out a little bit, and there it is. Um, the only, like, big thing that sticks out on the tree is ho, ho, ho. Take that for what you want. Um, but we are not here to talk about that as much as just the, what Advent really means for us. Now, raise your hand, just curious, if you celebrated Advent growing up, if your church was a church that like did Advent, okay, raise your hand if you didn't, if you have no idea what I'm talking about with Advent, okay, um, we'll get into Advent in a little bit, I'm the same way, my church growing up, we didn't do Advent, I didn't know the liturgical richness of Advent, I didn't know anything about it until a couple years ago, and I um, kind of fell in love with it, um, but when you think back, like, what was your favorite Christmas memory? I, I, I'm telling you, man, like, I'm the romantic as far as Christmas goes, like, I love Christmas movies. I love everything about Christmas. Um, one of my favorite Christmas memories, which uh, was a, a moment that only s almost sent me into counseling for the rest of my life, uh, but it didn't, was when I was in fourth grade. And so every year uh, we look like the Dodds look put together, but we're pretty redneck at the core. And so like I got my first shotgun when I was in second grade. And so every year we get a box of shells. It's just what we got under the Christmas tree was just a box of shells. Uh, has anyone ever held or seen a box of shotgun shells? Pretty easy to figure out, right? So as a fourth grader, I'm running in, I'm checking all, I pick this box up, it's heavy as lead, I drop it, I know what that is, I'm not touching it. So Christmas comes, we're opening presents, we're having fun. Um, I've got two brothers, so there's always this tally, right, of like, okay, he got that, like as a fourth grader, I'm thinking, that's got to be worth like $60, so this is like $30. All the presents have been opened under the Christmas tree, and I feel shorted out, right? Like I'm sitting there, I remember vividly, I had a big monster truck, a remote control car, sitting on the fireplace, holding it, and my parents asking, are you okay? Are you okay? And in my head, I'm going, you're paying for counseling later, because I know how much you spent on my brother, and you did not spend this much on me. So no, I'm not okay. So I was in this season of like waiting, of like surely something else is happening. Surely I'm getting another present. Surely, and my hope is dwindling out, and my, I think at one point, one of my parents said, oh, just go open your shotgun shells. I'm like, I'm not, no. It's not going to make me feel better. I know that's when you get shotgun shells. Leave me alone. You don't love me like you love my brother, so stop talking to me. So I was waiting and waiting and hoping that something else would come for me. And so finally, just out of spite, I think they've probably told me 10 million times, I just said, shut up. I'm going to go. I didn't say that because I would have got beat up, but uh, I'm going to go open the shotgun shells so you leave me alone. Open up the shotgun shells, and on top was a note that said, go look upstairs like, oh, yeah, this is what's going down. So immediately ran upstairs. Upstairs is my drum set. I love that drum set. I still play drums to this day. 
And so all of that came down to just a season of waiting. And granted, it was probably only like two minutes. It wasn't a big deal. But for a fourth grader, that felt like a lifetime of waiting. And so when we talk about Advent, that's what Advent is. Um, Advent literally means coming. So we talk about the waiting of what it looks like for us to long for, to wait for the coming of the Messiah. And so for us, there's kind of two folds to this. Um, and this is where I want to start off with Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Because we join the early church, we join the Jewish people, we join those in the Old Testament of celebrating this waiting for the Messiah to come, this, the coming of Christ. We're waiting for that. And Philippians 2, 5 kind of outlines this pretty well. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who taught he, who taught this was a form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, verse 8, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death in the cross. So what we celebrate is the coming of, of Christ. We get to celebrate, we get to rejoice in. Advent means that Christ has come, and that's what we get to stop and celebrate. But we also have this other thing as Christians in this era, in this day and age, that we get to celebrate, and his promise that he's coming again. So uh, my buddy wrote this book called Saturday Nothing. I encourage you guys to check it out, um, Josh Martin. And what the book is about was that Jesus died on a Friday, right? He was raised again on Sunday. So what did the disciples do on Saturday? This all, like, okay, Christ has already died. He paid the penalty for our price on the cross, but he hasn't defeated death yet. So, so what do we do on this Saturday? What do we do on this day of nothing? So we see scripturally, um, they kind of sit around. They don't do much. They're depressed. They're mourning because they've forgotten all the things that Christ said. Hey, don't you remember? Like, I'm coming again. I will destroy the temple and I will rebuild it. So uh, theologians call this principle the already but not yet principle. And so we're kind of living in this Saturday nothing where Christ has already come, but he hasn't yet returned yet. So what do we do in this moment? Um, it's kind of like pregnancy. The moment that you are pregnant, you have a child in, inside of you. So you are a parent, but at the same time, you're not yet a parent because the baby has not come out yet. This already, already but not yet principle. So we get to celebrate and rejoice and sing and be so glad that Christ has come that he considered himself a servant for us so that we can become the righteousness of God, so that we can earn our way into heaven because of the righteousness he gave us. But at the same time, we get to stop and also rejoice because Christ is coming again. So all the stress that we feel right, feel right now, all the hopelessness, all the anxiety, all the worry, all the doubt, all of that stuff, we get to rejoice because that's coming quickly to an end. When Christ comes back for us, whether we go into glory or he comes before, all that stops. So the four main pillars of Advent, peace, hope, uh, love, and joy, we just get to stop and embrace those, and we get to enjoy that. We get to have a season of relaxing and just waiting for, celebrate him coming once and that he's coming again, and we just get to uh, just breathe out that that's our king, that is our Messiah. Let's relax and enjoy and celebrate that. Anyone else relaxing, enjoying, and celebrating that? No? How about stress? Anyone stressed right now? Anybody freaking out a little bit right now? Did you know 47% of people go into debt during Christmas time? 
Does that sound like us waiting for them? Or how about this one? Um, 9% of people dipped into their emergency funds to purchase Christmas presents. Or this one, 7%, this one just got me, 7% dip into their retirement funds to pay for Christmas. Wait, what happened to Advent again? What happened to us just relax in the fact that Christ has come and he's coming again and that's what we celebrate, so we go into debt? Does that sound like Advent to anyone else? Is that, no, okay. So what we're doing the next two weeks is a thing called Advent Conspiracy where we get to conspire together as a church, what would it look like for us to make Advent, Advent again? What would it look like for us to celebrate, to enjoy, to rest in the fact, to celebrate that he has come and that he's coming again and really take back Christmas for what it is? What would that look like for us? Any conspiracy theories out there? You just love to read and research about conspiracies? Just me? All right, I, I, I love it. I love every bit about it. And so take that energy. What would it look like for us as the church to really make Advent the season of Christmas? I mean, people get so frustrated. You're taking Christ out of Christmas. Okay, well, tell me how you live so differently then. Tell me what makes your life, what you're doing through the season so different. So we get to stop tonight and just talk about and dream a little bit about what it would look like for Advent to really be Advent, for us to really stop, to really enjoy, to really celebrate Christ has come and he's coming again. And if we get those pillars, if that's truth for us, will it, this is rhetorical, but it should be a yes, will it change the way we live? Yes. Yes, it will. So if you, we've already read Philippians, flip over to Matthew 1 for us. Um, how better way to start off Advent than just reading the birth of Jesus, right? Amen? Okay, so maybe I should say amen. That's what works. You guys are all little country Baptists. <laughs> oh, gosh. Matthew 1. Um, we're going to skip over the first little bit. There's a lot of richness and history in there. But you guys have been complaining about me going long, so you're welcome. Let's pick it up in verse 18. 1.18. Matthew 1.18. If you don't have a Bible, man, please take one of these that we have on the table for you. It would uh, be awesome if we know you have a Bible if you didn't. Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took, play this, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've grown up in church at any point, the story of Jesus is going to be very familiar to you. You're going to understand it. So we're going to read through it and talk a little bit about it, uh, but not spend a whole lot of time. Uh, but just to be clear, um, this idea is an engagement on steroids. So it's not just like they got on a knee. I know I saw tons of Snapchats last night about people getting engaged on the square, and it was just so beautiful. Lights and whatever. Like, that's just Hollywood, dude. That's not biblical getting engaged. So much more took place to get engaged back in that day. You had to literally buy the rights of the daughter. It was just a big deal. So for them to be engaged wasn't I went to a pawn shop and bought a ring. It was, no, like I have really put my life on the line here. I've given up so much to marry this girl, and she found out to be pregnant. So even like 
that part is probably still the same as today, even maybe a little worse, because the punishment of her being pregnant was huge, was stoning, was outcasting, was a big deal. They kind of celebrate that in our culture, uh, but back then it was a huge deal. And so that's just kind of where the story picks up. It's not this pretty perfect, what you would think story would take place in the Bible. We have a teen mom who is going to secretly get divorced um, because she got pregnant before they got married. This is the way Jesus chose to enter into the world. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name should be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until he had, she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, if you are afraid that your wife, your future wife, the one that you're engaged to, had committed adultery and now pregnant with someone that's not your son, uh, wouldn't it take the act of an angel to prove you otherwise, right? Like, wouldn't it take something big for you to say, okay, maybe there's something else going on here? So Joseph was a good man. He's like, I'm not going to make a scene. I know what's going to happen to your life if I make a big deal out of this. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to bow out quietly. You do you. It's fine. Um, I'm not going to make a big deal about this. Angel showed up in the dream. So what we have, the entry story of Jesus as a teen mom in an almost divorce. That is the way Jesus chose to show up on this planet as a teen mom and a marriage that almost ended before it even started. Sounds like real life to me, right? I mean, Christians, we get this label of like, oh, you're holier than thou, you're better than everyone, you think you are, all this kind of stuff. Listen to me, the birth of Jesus started with a teen mom and an almost divorce. So Jesus was very particular, or God was very particular in the way he sent Jesus into this planet. But here's where we kind of want to get a big idea from this, is this word Emmanuel. Now, who has heard Emmanuel before? If you've grown up in church, you've kind of heard this, you sing about it. Um, but the power that comes of Emmanuel, meaning God with us, uh, for some reason, I've, I've grown up in church, but for some reason, that has just rocked me to the core this week. God with us. What would it look like if God showed up on this earth? I mean, what would it look like feasibly if the God of the universe showed up on this earth and walked around us? It looked like Jesus. The big word for that is incarnation, that God showed up in the flesh in Jesus Christ. The incarnation took place. God, the one that we cannot see, the one that we shall not see, or he would destroy us, we would die, has showed up on this planet in flesh, the incarnation of God. And here's the question that I hear over and over and over again as a pastor. God, where were you? God, where are you? I don't feel like I can trust you. I don't feel like you're here. I don't feel like you're present. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. God, where are you? 
Has anyone ever wrestled with that question before? Has anyone ever thought through that question before? Or even make it even more personal. God, are you actually with me? God, are you here? Are you with me? Because if you are, I haven't felt you in a really long time. If you are, this isn't what I thought it was going to look like. God, are you here? Are you with me? So when we talk about the Advent story, when we talk about this, we cannot forget the name Emmanuel. God is with us. So these questions of God, where are you? God, are you with me? God, are you here? Because I can't feel you. I can't feel, feel like I can trust you. The God of the universe decided to walk among with us to prove to us he is here. I mean, you think about it. Just, just put yourself in God's shoes for a second. Would you willingly come down to earth when you didn't have to and go through every pain that human nature does? Would you, would you sign up for that? Would you walk on this earth to be betrayed, to be lied about, to be hurt, to be deceived, to be sinned against, and ultimately to be murdered? When you didn't have to do any of that, would you walk in those shoes? So when we talk about Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate with us, walking with us, he is with us. So when we wrestle with these questions, God, where are you? God, are you here? Trust me, that's valid. But we cannot forget what he's already told us, that he is with us. Um, so I before this, I was a youth pastor. And so some people talk about, and as I mean other pastors, like hospital visits and all that kind of stuff. And I always make the joke, but it's not really a joke and it's not really funny. Um, when I get called for hospital visits, things are really, really bad. My, I, not yet. We're praying for and we're longing for the day where we have gray haired all the way down to like no haired babies. We just have the full spectrum of the body. And we want that day and it's coming. Uh, but right now, and even being a youth minister, I a pretty young congregation. So when I get a phone call to go to the hospital, uh, typically it's a pretty big deal. Uh, Jace isn't here, but he had an event last year, like leg was, I won't go into detail because it was disgusting. Uh, but I had an event between moving up here and when I was a youth pastor of a guy named John. Um, and got the call, it was probably like 10 o'clock at night. Um, and all I knew was he had a UTV accident and his leg is really messed up. So I got in the car, drove down to Grady. He had been life flighted down to Grady. Pulling up to Grady at like 2 in the morning is not very friendly. It's not a fun environment, especially, has anyone ever done that? It's scary. I'll just go ahead and tell you. It is a scary place at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, went in. His family were there. His friends were there. Um, they ended up having to amputate his leg. So I got to go in there and talk to him about that and, and pray over him. Uh, but the funny thing was, after that event, and this has happened numerous times, after that event, the family or the friends reach out and say, like, I'm so grateful that you're there. I was so grateful that you were there with us. And my initial point is, I sat there in a chair, and we watched Maury on TV. Like, I, I thank you, thanks for, like, I, but I didn't do anything. I didn't have any answers for you. We just sat, and we had small talk because it was awkward, and everyone's mind was somewhere else. We didn't do anything. But just the presence of someone else being there with them meant the world. We've all probably experienced that. I mean, I, I joke about this, you know, but like Bree and I are in a kind of difficult season right now with four kids and trying to pastor church and just figuring out what this looks like. 
So a couple nights ago, uh, I was just stressed to the core. Uh, just done not doing well mentally, just fried, frustrated. Um, kids were in bed. The to-do list was a mile long. And I just said, but will you just come sit with me on the couch? Our little love seat that's broken, so like once you get in, you can't get out. It's, you need a rope. Will you just come sit for a little while? And yeah, granted, the TV was on, but just the power of knowing that my wife was with me in a chair for an hour. We didn't really talk. We didn't plan much. But just knowing that she was with me changed everything. Knowing that I was with John's family at the ER changed everything. Now, I can be kind of a night owl. And so every now and then, um, Auburn, my daughter, will sneak out of her room and she'll peek around the corner and she'll make sure no one's in the den. And then she'll skim you across and run into our bed. And that's where she'll sleep because Bree and I are heavy sleepers and we don't know she's in there. But every now and then, I'll still be up and I'll catch her. And I'm just not that dad. I'm not going to send her back. I will pick her up and we will rock and we will have small talk. And she'll ask me questions. And, but more importantly, we'll just sit in a still, quiet, peaceful house. And she'll just sit in my lap and we'll just rock. And that presence is what she needs from me. Just that fact that she knows I'm there. Have you guys experienced that? Not having to talk, not just being present with someone in the moment changes everything. My last example comes from the greatest movie of all time. Have you seen The Christmas Story? Yeah, greatest movie, right? Incredible movie. My, one of my favorite scenes at the very end, the snow's falling on Cleveland Street, right? They're sitting in the den, the Christmas tree, and the mom and dad just sit there and watch the snow fall. Just being present with someone being with someone. So when we walk into this Advent season, we should take that emotion, take that feeling and put that on God, that God is with us, that he is sitting with us, that we can rest in him, that we know that he's there, that we know that we can trust him, that we know that he's gone through literally everything we have gone through and ever will go through. We can just rest. Emmanuel means God with us. That's what it is. That's what we do. But that's where we have to spin and say, okay, is that where we really are? We have to pose the question, does, does that sound like your life right now? And here's, here's just the question that I've been thinking through this week. As we go into this Advent season, do we as the church really represent Christ well through this season? Or are we just going as fast as we can, trying to get as many presents as we can, trying to get done with the finals and get home as quick as we can? Or are we really representing the body well through this? Because if Emmanuel means God with us, what would it look like for us to be with the world? So faith, hope, joy, love, those are the main pillars of Advent. Um, but this Advent conspiracy idea, they have four separate pillars. Spend less, give more, love all, and worship fully. So what would it look like to be the body of Christ if we spent less, if we gave more, we loved all and we worshiped fully. What would this really mean for us? So tonight, uh, as we start to close, I just want to talk about what it means to give more. What it means to give more. We won't talk about spending less a whole lot, but what does it look like for us to give more and give more without spending a dime? What is the biggest thing we can give? 
I mean, if we're representing Christ to the world through this Advent season, what is the biggest thing we could give? Time, right? Time is the biggest commodity. I listened to um, an, an interview with a lady, I can't remember her name, Catherine something, but she wrote this book called The Big Disconnect. Um, and basically the premise of the book is smartphones have been around for nine years, uh, which is crazy for me to think about. It seems like they've always been around, but I remember sending texts in college, and that was my first time sending a text was in college, um, which I'm, I'm not that old. That was 2005. So the, the smartphone era has come, and it has made a huge ripple effect, rewiring the way we think in our brains and even our thumbs, which is crazy. Have you guys heard of texting thumb? It's like your thumb is permanently dislocated because you text too much. That is bonkers, dude. Like that is crazy how fast that happens. Nine years. But the idea about big disconnect um, is that all this technology, even though it's good, uh, it's ruining our society. It's literally killing our society. There's an artist that put this portrayal together uh, of some people at a museum. And it's just interesting when you first look at it, it's like, that's okay, I get it. Um, but when you really stop to analyze what's happening here, and then you take this and you s- like just start looking around the world, how true is this? Everyone is glued to their phone. I was talking to a youth pastor friend of mine in uh, South Carolina, and his intern, which he was busting on millennials, which everyone does, his intern threw a Christmas party for all of the volunteers. Um, and so he took a picture of her at the Christmas party, the party that she threw sitting on the couch on her phone. So she threw a party for everyone, but she's not even present. She's sitting on the phone or on the couch with her phone. So we can be with someone, but not giving them our all at all. We're not fully present anywhere. And one of the things in the big disconnect it talks about is, is it a potentially a coping mechanism? No one wants to be rejected, right? I mean, ultimately, I don't, I've never met anyone that said, yeah, I love rejection. Put me in an awkward situation where people are going to kick me out and I thrive there. No, no one's ever said that. So we're on our phone to cope with other people being on their phone. And I've done this a little bit, not fully. I've had some friends that said, when you start putting down your phone, when you make a pledge to put down your phone, leave it in the car before you walk into place, the first thing you notice is how unplugged everyone else is around you. Because you literally have nothing else to do. I'm here to communicate like a human being, and I have no one else to communicate to. That's where we've become with technology. So we have time to give to people, but we're not fully present anywhere we go. Does that sound like Emmanuel, God with us? If we're the representation of Jesus Christ, but we're not fully present anywhere with anyone, it's probably not a good representation, is it? Or even more so, where could we put our time, where could we put our energy into that would be a better representation of Jesus? Which goes to the next one, um, energy. So again, if we're going to give more away, this requires no money at all. Where are we putting our energy into? Where are we putting our energy? Are we running around like chickens with their heads cut off, just like everyone else in society to try to get through this? And here's how you can know. If you're putting too much energy in the idea of Christmas and not the idea of Christ coming and coming again, you're probably wore out right now. You're probably just tired because your energy is going in the wrong direction. 
You're not available. You're not present with anyone. You're just tired. Where could we give our energy to through this season? If we didn't have anything to do, if we stop to celebrate what Christ has done and what he will do for us on our behalf, and we could take this idea and dream a little bit, it would be incredible what we could put our energy into. What area around us we could show compassion to. Uh, there's a guy named John Maxwell that writes a lot of leadership books. Um, and one of the things that he always encourages people is to walk slowly through the crowd. To walk slowly through a crowd. Because you get to really see the people around you. So let me maybe take that up to 30,000 feet. What would happen if we walked slowly through this season of Advent? We could actually see the needs around us. We could actually see those hurting, those burdened, those broken. But we're so worried about us and ours that we're not representing this Emmanuel God is with us. Have peace because he's already there. Everything that's going to go under that Christmas tree is going to be burned or sold in the next five years. Even if that, you might not even make it that long. Okay, I know someone's thinking, yes, it might last a little longer than five years. You might have something you got when you were two. But eventually, when you die, it's going bye-bye. You think your family's going to care about it. It's just going to get thrown in a dumpster with everything else. So what energy are we putting ourselves into? Uh, one of the things I love about you guys, um, even though people say, oh, you're a bunch of college students, they don't give, okay, whatever, sure. Um, but because you guys don't give, we were able to buy $200, $250 worth of winter clothes for a family that didn't have them. So it got down to like the teens, high or low 20s over this past couple weeks, and a family reached out and said, hey, um, we've got a need, it's getting cold, we have no winter clothes available. Can you help us? And it's a friend of the church, uh, a family that re visits regularly, who said, yeah, of course we can. Let us know what size. And so instead of, we just gave them some gift cards to let them go by. And man, I should have thought about it. I would have put the pictures up. The smiling faces of those kids is incredible. Because we can just walk slowly through the season. What do people need? Where can we put our energy? Where can we put our compassion into? We can give more. Okay, now I'm going to say something a little contradictory. Just stay with me. Um, how about the way we spend our money? Wait, Pastor, you said spend less. You didn't say, like, give more by money. Okay, just stay with me for a second. Let me throw two numbers out there for you, and maybe I can set the scene for you. Uh, $450 billion. What does that mean to you? $450 billion. That's how much we'll spend on Christmas this year in America. $450 billion with a B. Donald Trump doesn't have that much money. $450 billion. Let me throw another number at you. $10 billion a year. $450 billion, $10 billion a year. Do you know what $10 billion represents? How much it would cost to give clean water to the world. $450 billion versus $10 billion this year. $10 billion a year is the estimated cost of what it would cost to give clean water to the world. So how can we give more? Maybe give to something that really matters. 
When we talk about God is with us, how can we show the world that God is for them, that God is with them? Maybe we, we give to things that matter. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not condoning, I, like, I love, gift giving is one of my love language. I love giving gifts. I'm not saying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not implying that at all. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. You come to our house Sunday morning, I'm going to have the GoPro set up watching our kids, recording our kids open presents. I love it. Trust me, I love it. But at the end of the day, there's got to be something more. The holiday blues, anyone ever heard that expression? That's a real thing. Because they're putting their hope in this season, in this holiday that doesn't deliver, because ultimately they're not getting Jesus, which is the point of this holiday. Which leads me to the last point. How can we give more? Uh, give them Jesus by just being present. Just being there, being available. Will it be awkward? Yes. Will it be incredibly intimidating to be in a room where you don't have your phone with family that you don't really like and you just sit there? Yeah, yeah, probably will be. But maybe through that, you'll be observant to the needs around you. Maybe in that moment, you can just slow down and actually be praying for the person that's talking. Maybe you'll hear needs brought up that you've never heard or noticed before because we've been so preoccupied by giving ourselves to other means. So when we talk about Advent, we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. Man, he's entrusted us to be with the world, to be with those around because he's first with us. Right? That's what we celebrate. That is the Advent, that God is with us. So let me throw maybe something out there for you guys as we start to wrap up. Um, does anybody know what fasting is? Okay, so uh, we purposely give something up so that we can hear clearly from the Father. And when we, food is the biggest thing talked about fasting. Uh, when we hunger, it's our showing symbolic that our soul is hungering for the Lord. So we take that time that we should be eating, we sit, we rest, and we listen to the Father. Um, college students, how many of you going home this week? After finals are done. Okay. College students are going home. Families, this is, a, I mean, like I said, the book, the big disconnect. This is a big um, idea for us. This week, here's what I'm going to ask. And it makes me a little nervous too, just being honest, because I'm not good at this. Um, what if we fasted from our phone this week? In preparing our hearts and slowing things down and really looking for Christ in everything and understanding this concept of Emmanuel, God with us. Now I know like some of you need it and require for it, but um, man, like for us, like when I get home, maybe we'll just create a basket where the phone goes and it disappears. And I can be fully present with my family because that really happens. Well, imagine that free time that that would create, who we can stop, who we can pray for. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but we emailed an Advent guide that gives you a couple different things to do every single day. You can just enjoy time with your roommates. You can enjoy time with your friends. And, and for college students, as you're going home, uh, how crazy would it be for you to go home and actually spend a full day with your family? Don't pick up your phone and Snapchat and all that stuff. I don't want to see your parents anyways, so put that stuff down. No one cares that you're home. Just not trying to bust your bubble, but we don't. We're going to fast through that one real fast. Just be present with your family. Ask good questions. Model for them this idea of Emmanuel, that God is with us. Now I am with you.
to be fully present. And you'll be surprised as you walk slowly through the room of the needs that you see around you. And for maybe, maybe technology is not your deal. That's fine. You're awesome. You're rare, but you're awesome. What could you give up to be fully present this week? What could you give up to give more of yourself away this week? Maybe it's not technology. Maybe it's reading. Maybe that's your guilty pleasure. You just want to hide away, get more introverted, like get away from any people. I just want to read a book. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's different things that you can give up this week to be more fully present. But I'm telling you, this is what's going to change the world. This is what Advent is going to mean for us when as Christians we model what Christ modeled for us. Just that sitting next to us and loving us and encouraging us and just being present with us. Could we be present this Advent season with others? Could we? Is it manageable? Yes. Is it going to be hard work? Yes. Is it going to be rewarding? Yes. But we do all of this. The only reason we do this is because Christ did this for us. I don't want to jump too much onto the here's what we should do before we stop and celebrate and rejoice what he has done for us. The Philippians 2, uh, let's flip back there as we close. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born, here we are in the Christmas message, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we end tonight, we end with the message of the cross, um, that he did choose to come, that he did choose to be present, and he did choose to die on the cross. And that gives us the hope, that gives us the peace, that gives us the love, that gives us the joy of Christmas season, that he has come and that he's coming again and will be triumphant and will rule and reign completely over this broken world. So if you're struggling for hope, you're struggling for peace, if you're struggling for joy, then where is your hope and your peace and your joy in? If it's not in the body broken for us, if it's not in the blood spilled out for us, that's why you feel the way you do. So for us, man, like some of us are ready for this message. Some of us are ready to be Emmanuel, to live out this God with us and be present with our neighbors. And some of us need to stop as we take communion and ask God, where are you because I don't feel you. I'm going into this Christmas season. I know you've come and I know you're coming again, but where are you? So let this communion be a reminder of, here's where I am. Here's what I did for you. Here's where we go from here. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we are so grateful that you came. Uh, Father, we're so grateful that you're coming again. Father, we're so grateful that you are with us. Jesus, you are Emmanuel. God with us. Who are we that we would ever be worthy of being considered your sons and your daughters? Who are we that you would count us righteous because of what you've done on the cross? So as we celebrate Advent, as we celebrate Christmas this year, 
Uh, God, we celebrate that you've come to rescue us for your Father's glory. So God, where are you? You're with us. Let us take comfort and joy in that. So as we stop tonight to take communion, God, would you please just uh, be with us, Jesus? Would you remind us how close you actually are to us and all that you've done for us so that we can turn around and be your hands and feet to this world? So that our Christmas, so the way we celebrate Advent would look different from those around us. So the way that we enjoy you and enjoy this season, it's a season of rest for us because we get to celebrate you've already done it. You've already came and you've already died and you will come again. So we get to rejoice in that, that we have hope in that, that we have joy and love and peace in that because of what you've already done for us, not what we have to do. God, would you just get that ingrained into our minds tonight that the doing is already done that you've already done it for us on our behalf. That's what Christmas is. So when we enter in the season of Advent, that we get to celebrate that you have came and that you're coming again. The doing's done. So let us slow down this season and enjoy you and enjoy all you've done for us. Enjoy all you will do for us. And let communion tonight be a reminder of that. So Jesus, we love you, but thank you for loving us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.